Pretty's Darling Dalmatians by Valerie Grove. When a pup called Pongo bounced into the playwright's life, she couldn't know this would be the starting point for a Disney classic. Author Dodie Smith sat down nervously in the London cinema. It was Christmas 1960, and this was a special preview of Walt Disney's animated film 101 Dalmatians. What would Disney's artists have made of her distinctively English story, The 101 Dalmatians, written for English children about dogs in England? From her time screenwriting in Hollywood, she knew how stories were adjusted in translation to the big screen. Dodie's nervousness increased when she saw that instead of her young couple, Mr and Mrs Dearly, setting up home with their dogs Pongo and Mrs Pongo, Disney had created a pipe-smoking, songwriting bachelor looking for a wife. But at least he lived in Regent's Park, the very specific setting for the book and Dodie's favourite place in London. And his dog was called Pongo, the name of her own beloved first Dalmatian. As the film progressed, she began to relax. The beautifully drawn puppies were as adorable and unruly as they were in life. The characters of the network of home counties' dogs linked by their twilight-barking telegraph were just as she had devised them. The Suffolk countryside, where Pongo and his mate Perdita search for their lost pups, was drawn with admirable accuracy. Dominating the scenes was the terrifying villainess Cruella de Vil, determined to kidnap the puppies to make fur coats. The puppies escape and their suspense-filled trip back home to Regent's Park provided a happy, heartwarming ending. Would it be a success? Dodie's career badly needed a boost, but the story meant much more to her than that. Dalmatians had been a part of Dodie Smith's life ever since May 3, 1934, her 38th birthday. She was breakfasting in bed in her Dorset Square flat, elegantly furnished in ultra-contemporary black-and-white style when her fiancé Alec Beasley and her best friend, actress Phyllis Morris, conspiratorially entered her room. On the bed they put a hat box. It wriggled, the lid fell open, and out fell a Dalmatian puppy. Dodie's reaction was less than ecstatic. True, she had loved dogs since her childhood, when she had been obsessively fond of animals. Now, after an unsuccessful struggle to be an actress and a job at a London furnishing shop where she had met Alec, She was at the peak of her fame as a playwright, four years after her first big success, Autumn Crocus. A strong-featured brunette, just 152 centimetres tall, she always dressed up for her first nights, sometimes in a white satin gown with a black velvet bolero and white camellias, when she would joke that all she needed to complete the picture was a Dalmatian. But she wanted to choose one for herself, preferably a tiny puppy that had not yet got its spots, not this lolloping creature with enormous paws. Besides, she was rehearsing her third play, Touch Wood, and couldn't cope with house-training a puppy. She sent Pongo, as she named him, back to his kennels until after her play opened to rapturous reviews. The next day, she was photographed with Pongo in her flat. Newspaper reviews said the play was the work of one of our most successful playwrights, but Dodie herself captioned the pictures portrait of a happy woman. Even Pongo, with his Dalmatian smile, seemed to know that now he would be loved for life. Soon Pongo was much more than a photogenic asset. She became devoted to him, putting his comfort first. When she and Alec, 
now her assistant and business manager, bought an open-topped Rolls-Royce. It had a glass partition so that Pongo could sit in warmth inside. As Britain mobilised for war in early 1939, Dodie's best-known play, Dear Octopus, was filling in the Queen's Theatre every night. But the author turned her back on success. She was then worth £12,000 a year to sail for America and exile. Alec was a conscientious objector, and out of loyalty to him she agreed to leave the country, although she always regretted it. Of course, they took Pongo with them. As they drove round California, Pongo and the Rolls always gathered crowds. But Pongo did not survive long in America. Dodie sat by him during his last days, prostrate with grief. After his death, at the age of only seven, she soon decided that, to avoid being obsessed by one dog, they should get another, or better still, two. They chose a young, liver-spotted male, always known as Buzz, and a black-and-white female they named Folly. In mid-1943, Dodie and Alec, who had married but never had children, decided to mate Buzz and Folly. Told to expect a litter of up to ten, they watched with concern as Folly gave birth. Ten, eleven, twelve. The thirteenth puppy was born seemingly lifeless. Alec wrapped it in a towel and gently rubbed it until it gave a little gasp and moved its tiny limbs. I felt like God, Alec always said when telling the story. This puppy became the cad pig of Dodie's book. The final tally was 15 puppies. Homes were made for 14 of them, but they kept their favourite, Dandy. Their three dogs became their Dalmatian family, sleeping on pillows beside their beds. The Dalmatians also became an obstacle to returning to England. How could they subject their beloved animals to quarantine? But finally they did return. The war was over, and Dodie had never stopped missing England. The dramatisation of her novel I Capture the Castle was soon to be put on in London and the Beasley entourage arrived at Southampton in October 1953. Usually heavily involved in casting and direction, Dodie was more concerned with visiting the dogs in quarantine, paying for extra meat and heated kennels. At last, in April 1954, Dogs Freedom Day dawned. They took the dogs back to their whitewashed thatched cottage in the village of Finchingfield, Essex, vowing to never again leave them for more than a few hours. Their joy at being back in England was clouded by Dodie's lack of success, critical and financial. In the era of the kitchen sink drama, with John Osborne's look back in anger about to flourish, her drawing room comedies were cruelly out of fashion. I Capture the Castle ran for only six weeks. She'd written three plays that hadn't found favour with a producer. So it was in a spirit of rebellion that at Christmas 1954, having just bought an Enid Blyton book for a neighbour's child, she began to wonder if she might herself write for children. And what better subjects than her darling Dalmatians? She remembered the seed of a story about a wicked woman who steals Dalmatian puppies for her fur farm, sown 20 years earlier when a friend remarked on first seeing Pongo, he'd make a nice fur coat. That December night, she stayed up until 3am by candlelight, and let the plot of the 101 Dalmatians unfold. In seven weeks, she had completed the first draft of her tale of Pongo, a canine Sherlock Holmes, and his quest for the puppies stolen by the evil Cruella and incarcerated in a forbidding mansion called Hell Hall. 
She never thought she could write a little book about dogs, but in the end it wasn't difficult. Those dogs in the countryside through which they travelled were all so dear to her. Her publisher, Heinemann, engaged twin artists Anne and Janet Graham Johnston to illustrate the book. They drove to Essex to observe Dodie's three Dalmatians, capturing the breed's athleticism and graceful horse-like gait in brilliant drawings. Ever a perfectionist, Dodie insisted that the cottages, farms and villages in the background also had to look right. The book, which appeared at Christmas 1956, was an instant success. Then came a dramatic development. The Walt Disney Organisation offered $42,000 for the film rights. The film cost $5.8 million to make. 300 artists toiled for three years on the meticulous drawings. During this time, Walt Disney himself visited Dodie. He described how his people had feared that the scene in which the starving puppies are suckled by some kindly cows might cause offence, but he had insisted on keeping it. The film broke box office records and became one of Disney's greatest animated epics, filling cinemas whenever it was revived. Pongo lives on in millions of toys marketed by Disney, and Dodie's book has become a classic loved by every new generation of children. The only thing Dodie lacked now was her own Dalmatian. Dandy had died in 1955 and been buried beside his parents in the garden. Each dog's death caused Dodie agonies. Dalmatians were, after all, the nearest thing to motherhood she ever experienced. After six years, unable to bear the pangs every time they passed the corner where the dog baskets had been, she and Alec acquired another Dalmatian. They called him Disney after Walt, whose film had restored Dodie's reputation and ensured an income for the rest of her life. Though Dodie felt a little wistful in later years that the film had eclipsed her earlier fame as a playwright and novelist, she consoled herself that she did not really mind being immortalised by her favourite breed of dog. As she said, no human being apart from her husband had ever meant as much to her as her dogs. As one grows older, one tires of many things and people, but one will never be too old for dogs. In the last years of her life, there were two more Dalmatians. The last one, Charlie, was an unusually vicious, teeth-bearing character who stole food, bit people, and could knock Dodie over with ease. But towards the end, when the widowed Dodie, frail and bedridden, was alone in her cottage, he would guard her bedside. When she was taken into a nursing home a few months before her death, at age 94 in 1990, Charlie, having bitten the postman in a final gesture, died of a broken heart and was buried with the other Dalmatians. Dodie would have been both delighted and amused that the Disney organisation is now filming a live version of 101 Dalmatians at Shepperton Studios, using more than 200 real Dalmatian puppies and with Glenn Close as Cruella. She might have been amused too to know that in writing her biography, I was also afflicted with Dalmatian mania. On the dark November night when I finished the book, I decided that our family lacked that essential black and white spotted dog. The next day, I drove to the nearest breeder and acquired an eight-week-old puppy we called Beasley, after Dodie's married name. Beasel, as he is now known, looks uncannily like Pongo. He is full of Dalmatian spirit at its best, a dog prepared to love every human being on sight, as Dodie said. To me, he is Dodie's eighth Dalmatian. 
for more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price. Thank you.